right then um levels are set kids are out the house there's no noise i think we're all ready to go oh what is that noise somebody is always trying to ring when i'm trying to record a podcast well never mind let's answer it hello Ah, Chris, hello, genial Daniel McGeekerland here. How are you doing? Oh, uh, hello, Daniel. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Well, my boy, I can't tell a lie. I'm a little upset that you haven't called me about doing any event centers lately. Is is everything all right? Well, Daniel, I, I thank you for everything you've done, but I think I'm going to go in a different direction going forward. Maybe give the show a bit more of an international flavour. International flavour? Well, Chris, you can't get more international than an American, right? Well, you do have a point, Daniel, but with the Quebecers being a thing now, I I thought I'd try a French-Canadian for a bit. I found someone who's really keen to do it, and he's a bit more, shall we say, family-friendly. Well, what do you mean by family-friendly? Well... You do swear a lot, Daniel, and it's been getting a lot of complaints. Mostly from the wife, as my kids are two of the five listeners to this podcast, and that's like 40% of the viewership. So I really need to consider the direction this show is going. Direction? I'll give you direction right up my ass. Maybe I'll take my talents to Bang Bang Podcast. I'm sure they'll pay more and appreciate my talents. Well, Daniel, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but Steve's back over at Bang Bang, so the swearing quota's gone through the roof. Plus, I don't really need to do a a poor, mean Gene Oakland impression anymore, as he's not on TV at the moment. So I thought I'd go French instead. Well, French my butthole, mister. You're going to be hearing from my representation. This ain't over, buddy. Not by a long shot. Fuck it. Oh, dear. That didn't end well. Well, suppose I'd better record something. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, One Man Speak Podcast presents Acceptable in the 90s with Big Meaty Hooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooo
I do apologise. I did forget to ask the happy hardcore to take over your very soul. But um, if I'm not too careful, I think this beer's going to take over my soul. It's delicious. Now, I am a bit of an IPA evangelist, don't get me wrong. So I am going to be a little bit biased here. But this seems to hit all the notes, really. Like I say, wonderful aroma. It's as hoppy as anything. It's one of those IPAs that is absolutely delicious from the fridge as well. Sometimes the flavours get compromised a little. But no, this is nice. It's hoppy. Touch of citrus. I just wish the can was bigger, to be honest, because they do these in 330s rather than the 440s that I like. Uh, but no, this is going to be absolutely delicious. And we're a few episodes away from saying goodbye to Beavertown for a bit, so I am taking solicitations if any craft breweries that wish for me to sample their wares. Spread the word, gang. Right, that's enough of the ligging. Let's take a look at the goings-on in the world on this day in history, on September the 20th, 1993. Well, it was a bit of a slow news day, apparently, but there were three notable deaths. So that's something. Eric Hartmann, a German World War II pilot who downed 352 Russian aircraft, died at 71. Leonard Parkin, a British TV host for ITN, died at the age of 64. And Dutch baseball coach Loan Volkerijk died at 65. There's no change to either pop chart since yesterday, and the box office remains unchanged on both sides as well. So guys, when we last visited the Manhattan Center for Raw, we saw the Quebecers win the WWF World Tag Team titles in a match with dubious rules, as well as gaining a new manager in Johnny Polo. We got a tease of Kona Crush returning to the WWF shortly, and in a sad twist, the most underrated heel character in WWF history, Doink the Clown, turned babyface out of nowhere by throwing a bucket of water at his biggest supporter. Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yes, I'm still not over it. But we are back in the Manhattan Centre in Manhattan, New York for a pre-taped edition of WWF Monday Night Raw, recorded on September the 13th, 1993. This will be a pattern going forward as a live episode will be followed by one or even two pre-taped ones. But it could be worse, it could have been four months worth, eh? Anyway... Commentary is covered by fine upstanding citizen Vince McMahon, the macho man Randy Savage, and a noticeably worse for wear, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Last Monday Night Raw, Wrestling Federation history was made as the tag team champions. The Steiner brothers defended the championship against the challengers, the Quebecers. This match marked the first time in WWF history that a tag title was contested under province of Quebec rules in which jumping from the top rope onto an opponent is illegal. Pile driving an opponent is illegal. Throwing an opponent over the top rope is illegal as well. The above provision subject to disqualification and under Quebec province rules, a title can change hands as a result of a disqualification or a countout. It was a seesaw battle back and forth, but Rick Steiner cautioned by his brother not to pile drive the opponent. Off the top rope, now a disqualification thwarted by Scott Steiner. I don't know uh, who got, 
the Where comeback. Where the comeback is? Pierre and I am Johnny. What's going on? I take it that Johnny Polo is now the manager of the Quebecers, or he wouldn't be wearing the Canadian hockey team shirt. Johnny Polo brusquely appearing on the scene, apparently the new manager of the Quebecers. However, the Quebecers knew they were in trouble when Scott Steiner gave the Frankensteiner to Pierre in what should have been certain victory for the tag team champions. The Frankensteiner is like a pile driver. Same thing. It's not the same thing. It is the same thing as Johnny qualified. Come on, Ralph, get Johnny Polo down from there. Get him down. He's got the huggies. Oh, he got down all right. Oh, oh did he ever get down? Wait a minute. The hockey stick is in the ring. Swim it. Chuck has that hockey stick. Turn around, Ralph. Turn around. Disqualifying. Turn around. Anything on this one? <laughs> what, what's what's happening? No. As a result of a disqualification, the winners of this bout and new yes! World Wrestling Federation and Team Champions, Hey, a terrific injustice dealt the Steiner brothers last week. However, a justifiable demand for a rematch. That rematch is promised. If in fact tonight, Scott Steiner can defeat Pierre of the Quebecers one-on-one -on -one tonight on Monday Night Raw. temperature, but I, I'll make it. Don't worry about me. Scott Steiner now on his side squirrely on that man right there. And look around his waist. Can you believe that, Macho Man? I can't believe it, and I was disgusted last week, but I'm psyched to the match right now because Scott Steiner's going to make it all, all right. You just watch and wait and see. Boy, taking a look at those belts remind me of this afternoon. I was walking through the financial district here in New York around Wall Street. And I saw the WWF magazine, which is now on the newsstands, and on the covers, the Steiner brothers holding the belts. That is a collector's item. I bought six of them because I know you'll never see the Steiners again with those belts. As you will have heard, forthright professional and role model for all people of the world, Vince McMahon, breaks down the events that led to the Steiner brothers losing their tag titles to the Quebecers last week, as well as the challenges laid down that led to our first match of the show as Scott Steiner faces pre-CO himself, Quebecer Pierre. I do hope Dan Griffin is liking these puns. But we start off with clubbing punches being exchanged, ending with Scott catching Pierre with an inverted atomic drop. 
Scott then hits a flying clothesline before tossing Pierre outside and into the guardrail, as Polo complains about Quebec province rules not being kept. Scott rolls Pierre back inside and hits a pile driver for a near fall, as Polo grabs Scott's leg to stop the count. Scott then struggles before using a motor lock and then yells at Polo before using a single leg crab. Scott chokes out Pierre in the ropes as Heenan wonders if we'll see winos, bums and muggers since Vince said this match is under New York City rules. <laughs> he gets me every time. Scott then hits Pierre with a lovely overhead suplex before chasing Pierre and Polo backstage with the hockey stick as we go to a break. The match returns with Scott pacing around with the hockey stick in the ring as Pierre comes back to barely beat the 10 count then rolls back outside as Jacques has now joined his pals at ringside. This prompts big brother Rick to come out and watch his brothers back as we get both teams yelling at each other. This of course distracts the referee prompting Pierre to attack Scott from behind. Pierre stomps away on Scotty then hits a jumping DDT as Jacques applauds him. Pierre now chokes out Scott in the ropes as we see Rick use a chair to make Jacques back off. Pierre clotheslines Scott for a two count, but Scott comes back with a sunset flip that only got one, as Polo distracted the referee. Pierre works a chin lock on the mat as Jacques and Polo run interference, so Pierre can put his feet on the ropes for leverage. Heenan takes this moment to talk about Radio WWF, saying it's hotter than Rush Limbaugh, Tom Snyder and Don Imus, as Pierre nearly wins the match with a perfect Vader bomb. Pierre goes back to Chinlock City as the Vans vent their ire on Johnny Polo. Scott rams Pierre into the corner but gets scooped up with a slam, then Pierre hits a flying leg drop for another near fall. Pierre then ducks his head for a backdrop which Scott turns into a backslide for two. Scott uses a small package but Pierre kicks out and rakes the eyes before putting on another chin lock. Heenan gives off about Michigan University as Scott rolls away to avoid another Vader bomb as both men are down on the mat. Scott is up first and hits a few punches then hits R2 for babyface fire. Scott signals for the Frankensteiner and hits it for the win in 12 minutes and 43 of broadcast time. And it's definitely the right thing to give Scott Steiner the brunt of your time in any match he's in. And this match started really well, but the crowd seemed to dissipate quickly. Pierre showed the flashes of brilliance that would take him to the ROH title in his 60s, but he went to the chin lock well a little bit too much for my liking. But Jacques and Johnny Polo were excellent at ringside, and I've completely changed my tune on Polo as a manager because he's actually making an effort now. Plus a Scott Steiner win means we get the rematch for the titles, which means we get another Steiners versus Quebecers match. So regardless of what the Steiners thought of working with the Quebecers, I'm happy at least. After the break we return to the ring as Bam Bam Bigelow, accompanied by his main squeeze Luna Vachon, attempts to make mincemeat out of Laverne McGill. Bigelow dropkicks McGill and then pounds on him as Bobby Heenan works a Laverne and Shirley joke which I'm sure goes down very well with all our British listeners. McGill attempts to get the upper hand with chops in the corner and successfully dodges a corner charge from Bigelow which sends Bam Bam to the outside. However, McGill misses his first attempt at a drop kick and Bigelow responds by getting back in the ring and stomping him on the back of his head. Vince tells us that Crush is back on the phone after having his signal cut short last week. Vince asks the big man from Hawaii about his return as Crush puts over being in the best shape of his life and will return soon to make a very big impact. 
Vince then has Savage talk about his relationship with Crush, as Savage asks Crush a question about how well he's lifting in the gym, but it appears that the signal has been lost again. But Crush then answers when Vince speaks. Crush then addresses Savage personally and says that he will not speak to him for the rest of Savage's life as he hangs up the phone. Bigelow continues to beat on McGill as Vince wants to know why Crush won't speak to him, but Savage is at a loss and says he'll call him back. Bigelow dumps McGill outside where Luna roughs him up for a bit. McGill then tries to slingshot back inside with a sunset flip which gets blocked. McGill then avoids the avalanche and comes off the middle rope but gets caught and driven into the corner. Bigelow then suplexes McGill quite sloppily and then crushes him with a bit of an odd scent on Splash that gets applause from the crowd for the win in 5 minutes and 14 seconds because the New York crowd love a heel don't they? It was just as well really because seeing the awesomeness of Bam Bam being back in the ring was spoiled by this match being far too long for a jobber squash. This was because it was the Bammer's turn for his match to be the storyline filler of the week as the subject de jour was Kona Crush being in a chinny with Randy Savage for some reason. It's intriguing, I'll give it that, and I suppose they have to talk about it sometime. But you could have given this match two minutes and then done one of those live via satellite interviews or something. But never mind, too much Bam Bam Bigelow isn't necessarily a bad thing. But we do get a reminder of something that was a bad thing recently. And for the benefit of those of you who were not with us last week momentarily, we're going to take you back, ladies and gentlemen, and show you why Bobby Heenan has this No, you're not. Don't embarrass me. Director, uh -huh. you're in the truck. Let's take you back to last week. Doink was with us. Let's go back. Watch it, Vince McMahon. He's going to bring him over here. Watch it. I know Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan is trying to... Hey, wait a minute. I don't need to see any more of this. Whoa, whoa, wait. Wait. Wait a minute. No. See you later. Randy, don't, oh, you. don't leave me. Go ahead. No. You need a... No, no. No. Drink. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Go that way. Go that way. Go that way. We're in trouble, folks, because I believe it's going to hit. Oh, my goodness! Can you believe that? That is unbelievable! <laughs> That's unquestionably some of the most entertaining and humorous footage I think I have ever seen. What about you, Macho? Exactly. I was thinking the same thing myself. Hold it down a little bit over there, Bobby Heena. What's the matter? You little under the weather? Yeah, no, no. Yes, I'm under the weather. I happen to have a very severe cold. I have one lung is collapsed. I'm sicker than I must ever thought could be. I've got 113 temperature. I... I'll tell you, that's one thing that could never be recycled is Bobby Heenan's Kleenex. Please, <laughs> spending all those germs. Bobby Heenan, why are you here? Why am I here? Because I'm, I'm a broadcast journalist. Give me that. It's my thermometer. Give me that. It's 113 degrees. It's 97. You're not even normal. No, you're holding then it again, backwards. You're holding it backwards. I knew that. Ladies and gentlemen, joining oh, us will be the hitman, Bret Hart, with a special interview. <laughs> Bobby Heenan was superb as always, though, proving that you can sometimes put lipstick on a pig. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the hitman, Bret Hart. <laughs> yeah, you all think it's funny because I got doused in water by going... But I'll tell you something. 
this weekend at Wrestling Challenge. Doink is the guest of Jerry the King Lawler on the King's Court. And he's not going to get away with any of that funny stuff with the King Jerry Lawler. You know, I'm talking about the King's Court. Well, last weekend, I'm sure you all heard what Jerry the King Lawler had to say to President Jack Tunney. He said he is not going to be responsible for what happens when he gets his hands, his royal hands, on Brett let's the Hitman Hart. If we may, SummerSlam, let's talk about the King Jerry Lawler. Let's talk about some of the events that led up to SummerSlam, Bret Hart. Let's talk about the humiliation and indignities that your parents suffered right here in this very building, the Manhattan Center, at the hands of Jerry Lawler. Let's also mention, if we may, the events, the matchup with your brother Owen when Jerry Lawler used rather underhanded tactics, to say the least, then that would take us all the way to SummerSlam. The match itself, the match you had long awaited. As you stood in the ring awaiting Jerry Lawler to approach, he approaches all right, but on crutches, perpetuating unquestionably a fraud on you, your family, and the public at large all over the world. From there, a substitute, if you would, a court jester takes Mr. Lawler's place. <laughs> But nonetheless, undaunted, you defeat the court jester. Then from there was your moment, Bret Hart, the moment you had awaited. It was you and the King Jerry Lawler in the ring. Jack Tunney had in fact interceded and forced Jerry Lawler to come to the ring to face you. Nonetheless, as you and members of your family were in the ring, you continued to hold the sharpshooter on Mr. Lawler. You refused to release the hold. Unquestionably emotion capturing you at that moment. Whether it was justified or not, some degree of conjecture I would suggest uh, relates to that. But nonetheless, the referee as a result of you not releasing the hold, the official reverses the decision. And the last thing, Bret Hart, that we remember is Jerry Lawler on a stretcher being carried from the ring yet raising his right hand and his index finger pointed in the air and we heard the voice of the ring announcer saying ladies and gentlemen the winner of the match an undisputed king of the World Wrestling Federation Jerry the King Lawler that must still ring in your ears as we speak how a referee, how Jack Tunney, how even Jerry Lawler himself can figure himself to be a king when this is a guy, to my knowledge, that never beat anybody yet. He didn't win the King of the Ring tournament. He didn't beat me. He didn't beat anybody. So I have a bit of a dispute with anybody that wants to say Jerry Lawler is the undisputed king of the World Wrestling Federation. But what now, Bret Hart? What now? How do you go about rectifying that aspect of the... Well, it's a record. He's the undisputed king. How do you go about rectifying that? I'll tell you how you rectify it. You know, you're talking about... This isn't a match. This isn't a, 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 an issue of titles or crowns or... I, you know, the king of the ring... It's a great honor to be the king of the ring. But the fact of the matter is, the most important thing to me is my family honor. And I don't really care about getting my hand raised 
or wearing a crown or belts or anything because it's a different issue. And a lot of people think that I might have regrets that I didn't give up holding Jerry Lawler in the sharpshooter, that maybe I should have let him go. That maybe I could have had that prestige of calling myself the undisputed king of the ring. But the fact is, the only regret I got is that I didn't hold on to it longer. And all I can say is, somewhere, somehow, down the line, Jerry Lawler, you are going to have to step in the ring with me once again. You are going to have to face me. And I don't really care what kind of tricks you got up your sleeve. But the fact is, after I get through with you, you're not going to have a head to wear that crown on. All right, thank you very much. The one and the only, the Hitman, Bret Hart. I'll tell you something, Bret Hart, you better be looking over your shoulder because you know who's looking for you, Jerry the King Lawler. Don't go away, everybody, because when we come back, we're going to see an action, a friend of mine, Mr. Perfect. Yeah, perfection, dig it. And we get a solid promo from King Bret the Hitman Hart here to keep the heat for the greatest thing the WWF has going right now. I really want this feud to continue immediately if not sooner. After yet another one of those dreadful, unbelievable campaign adverts we got last week, Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig looks for more abuse from these fans by going through the motions with Mike Bell. Perfect slaps Bell after a reversal sequence as another We Want Sean chant breaks out from a vocal minority in the crowd. Mr. Perfect is quite noticeably shaken by this, and basically shows his ass. He, he ends up being quite stiff with poor Mike, actually. But Perfect drop kicks Bell and then heads out to chop him a few times before taking the action back into the ring. Bell lands a couple of chops, but Perfect reverses them and hits a neck snap. Perfect beats on Bell some more before finally putting him away with a, well, very annoyed-looking Perfect Plex in 3 minutes and 54 seconds. And the match itself is perfectly fine, but this was mostly a backdrop to talk about Joe Fowler replacing Mean Gene as Bobby's co-host on All American Wrestling. But it's plain to see that Mr Perfect isn't getting over in New York as a bad guy. The crowd here just don't care for him at all, and it's visible on screen that it's clearly getting to him. But he's also not putting the right sort of effort in as a fan favourite, and a crowd like this can be unforgiving. I mean, Shawn Michaels isn't exactly bringing his best lately either, but the fans in New York know what they like. Right now, let's take you, ladies and gentlemen, to a man who has no respect whatsoever for the United States of America, and even less for Lex Luger. Here's Ludwig Borgon. Look at this garbage. Look at this filth, this pollution, the pasca, rosca. I, Ludwig Borga, is going to tell you, Americans, what's really going on here. This filth, you call this the land of milk and honey? Well, down here, it stinks funny. And Lex Luger, you are proud of this? You stand up for all this filth, this pollution? This used to be a nice, beautiful river until you Americans started to clean your house. And right here, 
we can see what Americans are all about. Filth, pollution, corruption. And Lex Luger, if you stand up for all this, that makes you only one thing, a garbage driver. And America, it stinks down here. Americans stinks. Lex Luger stinks. So Americans choke on this. Welcome back to Monday Night Raw. We got a, we got a special treat tonight. Would you two people mind standing up? Uh, now, what, what is your name? What is Todd? he up to? Todd? Todd what? Todd Apanas. Todd Apatabs? <laughs> what is it? Apanas. Are you in this country illegally? Can you laugh in English? And this is a, a friend of yours. What would you like to do here tonight on Monday Night Raw that you can't do usually? I want to ask her something. Go ahead, ask her. No, no, no. One knee, pal. One knee. One knee. One knee. One knee. Is this yours? Go ahead. One knee. Hold this. My nose is running. Go ahead, ask her. Ah. Put it down. William Mamie. Yes, pal. It's only an hour show. Yes? Well, I hope you have a nice wedding. And remember one thing. You'll probably be hungry in an hour. Let's go back to something else. Here's your popcorn, folks. Bobby the Brain Heenan throwing the popcorn around. Can you believe it? Wait, but she still has the... Oh, he's putting a ring on her finger, but unfortunately, I believe she's still holding on to that wet Kleenex from Bobby Heenan. Yeah, let's go back to ringside. The ring is beautiful, but the Kleenex give you... Oh, that's great on Monday Night Raw, the folks. Ludwig Borger points out the pollution again, and in a rare misfire for Bobby Heenan, he goes back to the well of going into the crowd and pressuring another couple to get married with added Chinese racism jokes. It was better the first time. Things don't appear to get much better in the ring either, as 1993 WWF's new top heel, Erwin R. Scheister, takes on PJ Walker. Before the match, IRS blatantly spells out the foreshadowing by stating that Razor Ramon does not have the guts to face him and will show the crowd what he does to tax cheats, before weirdly telling everyone to follow the buzzards. IRS beats on Walker inside and outside the ring as Heenan rags on the newly engaged couple. We now see Razor Ramon stroll down the aisle as IRS is distracted. IRS goes towards Razor, but as that happens, Walker rolls him up from behind and gets the win in 1 minute and 22 seconds. Walker bails as Razor laughs at IRS, who is restrained by several officials as a 1-2-3 chant breaks out. And was this the repeat section? First of all, we get another Borger anti-pollution promo aimed at hating the United States, then a Heenan rehash, and now they're trying to make another 1-2-3 kid. Unbelievable indeed, for the wrong reasons. I mean, Razor was involved at least, but that was the only bright spot. I mean, PJ Walker's so clueless that he couldn't even end the match in 1 minute and 23 seconds. But I suppose this match does serve to remind us that we have to see Razor and IRS have a match together at some point. But leave it to Heenan to wrap things up well. 
Well, what you're looking at right now is the tag team belts oh, worn right. by Pierre and Jacques, the Quebecers, the new WWF tag team champions. And Johnny Polo, let me ask you this. One question. Are you going to give the Steiner brothers a rematch next Monday right here on Monday Night Raw? Well, first of all, I want to categorically and emphatically deny that we, the Quebecers and myself, are not scared of the Steiners in the least. No way! But Bobby DeBrain, you being the greatest manager of all time, you must concede that there are some other great teams out there. The Head Shrinkers. Yes. Men on a Mission. Yes. Well done. Smoking yes. Guns. Smoking Guns. The Bushwhackers. So I have to say this. No, we won't be giving the Steiners a title shot next week, but we will be giving a title defense to someone who truly deserves it. Well, you heard it from the tag team champs, McMahon. Back to you, pal. <laughs> well, all we can say is that next week, uh, right here on Monday Night Raw, we certainly will have a tag team championship matchup of some kind. And by the way, next week, we will emanate live from New Haven, Connecticut. New Haven, Connecticut, that's near uh, Yale University. That was my alma mater. I uh, majored in machoism. Did you now? Yes, I and did. And in addition to the tag team title matchup, next week joining us as well will be the Native American still undefeated Tatanka. And the very first debut on Monday Night Raw of Ludwig Borga. And in the ring in New Haven, Connecticut, ladies and gentlemen, a blast from the past. Yes, one night only, he returns to the WWF Superfly, Jimmy Snooker. And don't forget the tag team title match with the Quebecers. We do invite you to join us next week for all of that and a great deal more here on Monday Night Raw. And hopefully Bobby the Brain Heenan will be back in the uh, world. Don't, oh. don't, don't tell me you're catching what he's got. Stay away from me. Join us next week. So we're given to understand that there's a tag team more deserving of a shot than the Steiners? I hope it's the smoking asses. Seriously though, I love the idea of the heel champs ducking the challengers. So let's sit back and wait. And now we go to my final thoughts. It turns out that this episode of Raw will be the last one at the Manhattan Centre for years, and the WWF sign out relatively well, with a solid match that was given plenty of time, and some nice storyline progression between Brett and Lawler, Crush and Savage, and even Razor and IRS. More of a good episode than a great one, but it's a nice way to say farewell to Manhattan for now. The WWF will now begin taking the show to smaller arenas, so we'll see how things go. But all in all, this episode was solid, as we've come to expect both weeks. Not a bad way to get over Fall Brawl, actually. of the night of course goes to Scott Steiner versus Quebec Pierre. The crowd might have been quiet in places, but the action was excellent, as was the story being told. I want to see this continue for as long as possible. And the star of the night goes to the Quebecers. From the match with Scott to the interview with Bobby Heenan at the end, everything they did was absolutely golden. These lads are, far and away, 
the best heel act in WWF right now. And the highlight of the night was Bret Hart getting some time on Monday for a change. He needs to be on Raw more often, but I'm sure he'll be a regular eventually. And the lowlight of the night is more of a personal thing really, but I can't shake the idea of IRS being a top heel in 1993. It just doesn't sit right with me. But he's not actually doing anything wrong. Well guys, I'll love you and leave you until next Monday, where we revert back to a review of Saturday's action, as well as Monday Night Raw. So have a great week, remember to eat plenty of fruit and vegetables, and stay beefy, Meat Cider!